we've been talking about the meantime. We talked about the fact that God has promises and destiny for us. And then there's a thing that's in between. Between the time when God promises us something and in between that time and between that time as, as, and, and the time it's fulfilled. And we call it meantime. Mean as in middle. Uh, mean as also kind of small, kind of dismiss, dismissible, diminutive, insignificant, mean time. When you say there was no mean feat, you're, you're saying that this person has done something that is not a small thing. Meantime. And we spoke about the fact that in meantime, the Holy Spirit is working in us and putting in us the thing that is necessary for us to be able to enter into the thing that God has called us to. Yeah? The thing that God has called us to, and He has called us to, be to in terms of the blessing of God, is far beyond what we are able to handle right now. But meantime is that time in which God actually starts small, starts us small, and it increases and increases and increases. And so we were talking about looking at the small things and paying attention to small things, not despising the day of small beginnings, because it's when we can recognize the Holy Spirit working in the small particles that we can actually recognize the Lord. Most people wait for things to become really obvious. They, they wait for the time in which they've been hit by a two-by-four. Two it's so obvious that even an idiot can, can actually see it before they actually know that God was in it. And God does not want us to be that because God wants us to be people of discernment and who are able to move with the Holy Spirit. And so there's a way in which we looked at Joseph and we'll be looking at him more on Tuesday as we look at pillars, how he began and uh, in small ways and God trained him even through much trials. And in these trials in prison as a slave as well, God gave him practice of his presence and he got so good at it that as he got bigger, got, got uh, stronger and stronger in, in it, he developed a reputation. So that when the moment came, where as Churchill says, he was put, he was, his, his, his shoulder was tapped for something that no one else could do, but which God had prepared him for, he was ready. And, so, and Pharaoh came to him and said, I've heard it said of you, that you can interpret a dream. And we spoke about the fact that in the meantime, what God is doing is, doing is putting in us a, I've heard it said of you. And all of us have to have that. Your moment doesn't come without one of those, I have heard it said of you. Because there's a preparation that God does. And that happens in meantime. And so sometimes we go through difficult times. Uh, the journey from now to from here to Zion it's a difficult journey. It's a difficult journey, and it's a journey in which there's dryness, it's weary, there's a weary land, there's also dangers. But in each of these steps for us, God is doing something and He will protect us. By the end of our journey, we will know the Lord so greatly, so deeply, and so discerningly that we will be more than able to do the things that God's called us to. And so this, we've been, we've been talking about it. Having said all that, having said all that, there is a question, and it has to do with why then, if that is so much the case, do Christians, through meantime, get stuck? Why is it, even after sometimes great deliverances, great miracles taking place in their life, great wonderful things that are taking place, it doesn't pan out, actually uh, result in something bigger, something more um, uh, significant. Why do we end up having lives in which the build doesn't actually happen? Why is that? It's almost as if, and I've heard this said in, in, uh, in, in, in many, many quarters, it's almost as if, when someone asks, how's this person doing in his or her spiritual life? You don't really know whether that person is even still a Christian. I was looking at some, uh, some video in, in YouTube, and the commentator was talking about how many people have deconstructed their faith. 
And many of them are in worship ministry and they are prominent in prominent ministry. They are so prominent, they are so talented, so gifted. And then they have given up their faith. Deconstructed is almost like a euphemism for that. What's happened there? It's almost as if many Christians are just hanging on. That next year, they have no assurance that they would be hanging on. There's no assurance that they would be building up. What happens there? And I'd like to talk a little bit about that because there are, I'm sure, some of us who wonder about that, who wonder about that. How, how can we be unstuck on our journey of faith so that God can actually allow us to not be held up and be disappointed when things don't pan out? Yeah? And so I'd like to talk a little bit about that. I believe the Lord has put that upon my heart. And in that, uh, in that uh, regard, I'd like us to turn to uh, Psalm 116. Okay, let's look at Psalm 116. It's a very interesting psalm. We'll read it from verse 1, okay? I'm reading from the ESV. I love the Lord because He has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy or my supplication. Yeah, Last week, we talked about supplication. My vo- he has heard my voice and my pleas for suppli- for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompass me. The pangs of Sheol, this place of death, laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Verse 5, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, He saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, tears, and my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Verse 10, I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. And verse 12, What shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on His name, of, uh, call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all His people. Precious is the sight of the Lord, is the death of His saints. O Lord, I am Your servant. I am Your servant, the son of Your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to You the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I'll pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all His people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in, your, in the midst of Jerusalem, praise the Lord. It's a really great psalm because it talks about the deliverance of the Lord. The Lord is a great deliverer. He saves us. He says when we call upon the name of the Lord, He saves us. He listens to us. Yeah? He listens to us. And I'm sure many of you have experienced this. Some of you are in the, in the midst of that. You need saving from the Lord. And the, and the scripture says here in Psalm 116, Call upon His name and He will save you. He will deliver you from the devil. He will deliver you from your, your, your situation. And that's a great thing. God has that. He delivers us. Right? Amen? Wow. He inclined His ear to me. Therefore, I will as long as I live. And the psalmist is saying, because He has delivered me, that is not the end of the story. That hopeful thing thing that has taken place is not the be-all and the end of all of my Christian Because He has saved me, therefore, I call on Him as long as I live. He's saying that I'm not done with God. And God's not done with me after He has delivered me. For me. He's not just a God of existential blessings, ad hoc. I call upon Him and He will help me and then I'll go down again. And then when I'm in trouble, I'll call upon Him and I'll just hang on to Him and He will save me. No, He's saying after the aftermath of His deliverance is what's really exciting. He has a future and a hope for me. And I'm not just His client. I'm in relationship with Him. Okay, so some some Christians they're like this. They're in relationship with God, but they are like God's client, right? I call upon God, and God saves me, and then okay, good enough, thank you. 
I'll live my own life. The psalmist in Psalm 16 is saying something much more profound. He's saying, he has saved me and he does miracles in my life. And that is something all of us must experience. It's for us. But there's more to it. To understand that will help us to know why some of us are built up and some of us are not. Because the aftermath of God's coming to us, saving us, converting us, filling us, giving us hope, is more important in some ways. Okay? So let's have a look at this. It said, I call on the name of the Lord, verse 4. O Lord, I pray, deliver myself, my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, He saved me. And then verse 7, it says, Return to your rest, O my soul. We're going to talk about that. About that. But I want, to, I want to just kind of dwell a little bit about, on, on, on this. God has a future for you and for me that will actually become even more intense and more glorious before you die. Um, many of you know Augustus Toplady, who was a hymn writer who wrote the hymn Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. How many of you know? Yes, 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 yes. Augustus Toplady, uh, at a, at the, near the end of his life, experienced many, many sicknesses and many, many diseases, but his life was ending. And the doctors told him that there is no chance for him to be healed. There's no chance for him to be better. And he should get ready for death. But August, Augustus Troplady had become a man of God who sought after God. And he immediately told the doctor, I am not afraid of that. Because as my heart beats weaker and weaker, my spirit will beat stronger and stronger and stronger. And he went to his death full of the glory of the Lord. People say that when he, was die, when he passed away, the whole room was filled with angels. Some of them, some people could actually see angels in that room because of the glory of the Lord. He was not dying in a, in a, in a, in a whimper. He was actually being carried to the presence of the Lord. I've seen people in funerals, many funerals, and for some people, it's, you have to try to patch up some good story about them because they died in despair. They died with a whimper. And some of them, you just cannot help praising God. I could, I've seen people, when my father died at the age of 83, the place, the, the, the whole place was filled with the glory of the Lord. And people couldn't stop worshipping the Lord. After, his, after the service, he had nine days of services because they couldn't finish. I want to put it to you that just like Augustus Truplady, the trajectory of your life and my life is upwards. It's built up. It's built up. It's not hanging on on a, on a, on a thin line. It's actually built up over the years. And how, do, how does that actually happen? For many, their life, even as Christians, doesn't build. And it shows over time. It shows in our children. It shows when we grow older. When we grow older, the, our powers, our physical and mental powers, our emotional powers get thinner and thinner and thinner. But it shows. Time actually shows where we are. When the external conditions are bad, like the economy drying up, things drying up, evil tidings, cancer diagnosis, divorce, situation change, all these things when they begin to show up, then what the substance that's inside us is will show up as well. And what God wants to do is to actually build us up. So He's not just wanting to deliver us and take us from one deliverance to another, but He wants to actually deliver us and build us up. Amen? And so, we come to this place in which the psalmist is praising God, yes? And then verse 12 he asked this question, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? See, what the psalmist is saying is this, after all that he has done, what's next? What do I return to the Lord for all his benefits towards me? He's no client, you know. 
he realized that when God saved him, he made a covenant with him. He says, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits towards me? He realized that there is more to it than God just doing something that he is a client of. That God actually wants to build him up, wants to enter into covenant relationship with him. And that is the relationship that redeems us, that causes us to grow from glory to glory. He is not just wanting events to take place in his life in which God helps him and gets him out of a tight spot or solves his problem. He, God wants to transform him from glory to glory. He wants to put his, his own glory upon him and cause him to be built up stronger and stronger. Isn't that amazing? And so the psalmist asks the question, so what shall I render now? Most of us, when we experience a deliverance of God, a blessing from God or some goosebumps from God, we finish that event and after that we move to the next crisis. Right? And we're just hanging on. What God says is this, this is the beginning of something more. And I, when I save you, I save you and I grab hold of you. You're not done yet. I'm not done with you. Now, some people will say, I don't really want that. I think I'd rather be a client of God. I, it's, I quite like where I am. And they live a life in which they live from a center of self-interest. Right? So their relationship with God is one in which they are a client of God. We are part of God's clientele in which from a center of my own self-interest, I come to God and I need His help and I relate to Him from me as a center, from my own interest as a center, whereas, the, whereas what God's wanting to do is to take ourselves off ourselves, take the center off ourselves and put it in God. And that is why the psalmist says, return to our rest. Oh my soul. The resting place is where we dwell. Most of us dwell in ourselves and are connected with other things and other distractions. So they're not centered in God. Where their self is depends on how people treat them. So their whole life is a life of manipulating other people and fighting for themselves or manipulating themselves or negotiating so that they will be more amenable to my own self-interest. The center is in self. I mean, I remember, I remember in my undergraduate days, the question was, is that true altruism, right? Is that true altruism or do we do all good things for because of selfish motives? The Bible tells us that we are made in the image of God. It's been broken, but he also tells us that when Christ comes on the inside of us, we are set free from ourselves. The great liberation is not the liberation from external um, oppression. That's not the great, great uh, uh, liberation. Because when you are freed up from external oppression, you will come straight against the oppression of your own self-interest. And when, when self-interest is not being broken, and selfishness or, or narcissism is not being broken, you will always be set free. Uh, at. And what God does is that He sets us free from this. He sets us free from that and sets us free so much so, much so that our life is not curved in towards ourselves. That our religion is not one that's curved in towards our own self-interest so that God can bless us, make us feel good, so we can go to heaven, so that we can feel good about ourselves, or that we can feel included, or that we can feel... Uh, you know, someone's journey with us and all that, and the community can actually support us. No, what God does is that He sets us free. And when He sets us free, He sets us free not just from the devil, but from ourselves. So when the psalmist says, what shall I render unto the Lord? What he's saying is, this, I'm not my own anymore. I'm set free from my own self-interest. I'm set free from my own um, um, selfishness. And, I'm, and I, I'm now set free to be, have my center, not in the instability of myself, but in the, the rock of my salvation, God, who has saved me and given himself for him and loves me more than he loves himself. The Christian life is one in which we are loved and we are, we are, we are nestled in who loves us more than he loved himself. But unless you have the, the Lord in you, you will not be able to be set free from yourself. You can't. You can't keep, you can't keep um, 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 setting yourself free from yourself. It keeps curving in. The gravitational pull for, for the self, self-life is so strong, it pulls us back. Every time we do something good, we do something humble, 
you come back and say, oh, how humble I am. Yeah? The self, sense of self-importance, the sense of self-building is always there. That is why a lot of Christianity passes off as Christianity, but it's actually the use of Christian concepts, but it's turned, it's, it's perverted, it's manipulated, and become twisted into something in which we showcase ourselves. We self-actualize. We give ourselves a platform or we give ourselves an opportunity. It's all about that. And God's main concern is to make me feel happy. And so what God does is this. He knows that we can't get out of that conundrum. And He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to do the supreme act, not just one individual act, but, the, but He was incarnate so that He could take upon Himself all our disease of introspection, all our disease of incurvature curved into ourselves and put it upon Himself so much so that we can be set free from it. He took upon Himself all our evil, all our sin, all our, our unrighteousness, all our brokenness, all our depression, all our insecurity, put it upon Himself, every single one of them upon Himself and broke it and lived for 33 years of His life and on the cross an eternal sacrifice for that. So that by, by a mystery of God, you can be set free and no longer live in a way in which you're constantly manipulating situations and people so that they will be amenable. Okay, so that's, that's something that, 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 that the psalmist says. Watch, um, return to my, oh my soul to your rest for the Lord has dealt bountifully with thee. That's amazing, right? So we return to the Lord to return to our rest does not just mean, it does include that, but it does not just mean that relax, it's going to be okay. It, it truly is going to be okay, but it also means come back to yourself. Amen? All right, let's, let's have a look at this. What shall I, verse 12, render to the Lord for all His benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord. Let's look at this, verse 12. What shall I render to the Lord? For his benefits towards me, God. The psalmist said, realizes that God does, didn't just do one good thing for him. The Lord pulled him to himself. He pulled him to himself. He said, I'm not just going to give you a good event to take place in your life. Pull him to himself. And that is what God did with the children of Israel when he set them free from Egypt, right? The moment he set them free, set them free, took them to the Red Sea, he made a covenant with them. Now, I want to put it to you that today, I believe God wants to make a covenant with all of us. He doesn't just want to set us free, but he wants to build us up. Okay. He says, I will, verse 13, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on his name the name of the Lord. The cup of salvation is a cup that we, in the scripture, see completely fulfilled in the in which Jesus said, unless you drink of the blood of the Son of God and eat of his, of his flesh, you have no life in yourself. What the psalmist is saying is this, because of what you have done, Lord, or another translation says, the chalice of salvation. The chalice of salvation is something that is more than just a drink. It's more than just H2O. It is more than just wine. It has to do with the covenant. Jesus said, this is my covenant in my blood. I enter into it. And what God wants to do is to actually cause us to not just move on, but actually drink heartily unto the dregs. Drink heartily to the, to the bottom of the glass, His salvation. How do we do that? How do we do that? I don't know about you, but if you can think about a great thing that God has done in your life, and which you know God really did that, can you think of it? Just close your eyes a bit. Just close your eyes, if you don't mind. Just think of something that God did. When we drink the cup of salvation, we don't only just 
take what he has done. We, we drink it up. How do you drink up what that happens? We give thanks. We surrender our life to him. We set our hearts towards him. We remember what it had, what he has done. We receive his love. We let him talk to us. We let him finish the work on the inside of us. When we drink the, the blood, we drink the cup, what Jesus was saying in the, on, on, on his last days before he was crucified, he says, you do this in remembrance of me until I come. You know what remembrance means? Remembrance means taking what happened in the past and making it a present thing so that it doesn't, con it doesn't get consigned to the past. To remember means to take something great that God did and make it present to us so much so that that which happened before will keep on happening. To remember Him, what God was saying is this, I'm setting before you a covenant in which I'm, I'm setting this table before you and you will take of this, partake of this table again and again and again because what I do for you doesn't happen just once. I want you to live a life in which I do this for you all the time. I'm committed to you. And when we take the cup, we're saying, we're saying, I'm committed to you, Lord. I'm entering into relationship with you. I'm not just taking the benefit of what you did. The psalmist says, what shall I render? That means give back, return. Yeah? What shall I return to the Lord? What does this mean? How am I tied to this miracle that has taken place? This blessing in which God has forgiven my sins. How am I tied to this? How does my life change beyond it just being an event? How... What more is there that God has for me? I take the cup and I drink the cup. I drink the cup of salvation because I drink it till it's, it's done. Jesus says the span of time in which He will drink this cup with us is until He meets again, He comes again. That's almost forever. <laughs> True? As long as you're here. He is saying, I want you to live in a covenant relationship with me in which these things happen, not because you're a client, not because I'm, I'm, I'm giving you something, but because of the fact I'm tying you to a relationship in which I want to be married with you. And, and as he says that, the, the psalmist says, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. And then verse 14, he says, I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of His people. I'll pay my vows unto the Lord in the presence of the people. Actually, he repeats that in verse 18. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all His people. It's almost as if vows are like the structure of a relationship. Vows keep me committed and in fidelity with this person I'm in relationship with. We make marriage vows and these vows make it something in which is more than just lovey-dovey, right? erotic satisfaction and more than romance. It has to do with something in which in marriage, I commit myself to suppress my own self-interest in favor of the other person. Marriage is a practice in which self-satisfaction is suppressed or is given up or is surrendered in favor of the good of the other person. Why are you so quiet? I'm sure you knew that, right? I'm sure you knew that when you went into marriage, right? The idea was this. The cup that we drink with our spouse has to do with the fact that we put that other person first. Now, many people, I've shared this before, many people, they think that marriage is like this. I have a half cup full. You got a half cup full. When I need you, because that's why I married you, I'll take from your half cup and you put your half cup a little bit, a few drops into my cup. Now I have more. When you need me, I'll take my half cup and I'll pour in my wine into you so that you will have a little bit more. And then we'll drink it together. The problem with this is this. You will run out of wine real fast. And that's what happens with many relationships, many marriages in which in marriage, we depend so much upon the other person. We are looking for the other person to be a fit for us, to be a person who will be perfect for us. So that's why we spend so long getting married. No, I'm not trying to say hurry up and get married. I mean, I'm saying we're constantly looking for the perfect fit and there's no perfect fit. Did, did you know that? There is no perfect fit. 
you will find all the imperfections of each other. And if you depend upon the other person's half cup of satisfy your, your half cup of wine, you're going to be in trouble because it won't be long before that other person is exhausted and you will be exhausted. You will come to a point in which you can't give anymore. The cup that God calls for us to is a cup in certainly fill our, fill our cup. If we don't have that, what will happen is that we will constantly move from relationship to relationship because we will always find the other person unsatisfying. And so what, what, what the psalmist says, I will not only render the cup, I will pay my vows to the Lord. Now vows something as, as something that many of us as Christians in the New Testament think Oh, legalistic. They are not part of relationship. Vows are the law. Jesus set us free from the law. And yet, at the same time, vows are that structure around what God has called us to. When God saved the nation of Israel and brought them into the promised land, he brought, in, he brought them into covenant just as He brought us into covenant. Can you turn to 26? Okay. Verse 1. When you come into the land that the Lord your, Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance and have taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first of the fruit of the ground which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God is giving you and you shall put it in a basket and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make His name to dwell there. Okay, this is a special place in which God will manifest His name, His, his character, His power, His glory, His love. You will take it to, to this place, and in that place that you take it to, in which you put your basket of first fruits to Him, He will manifest His name. He will dwell there. Isn't that amazing? No? It's so amazing. He says, when you take your first fruits there, you will go to the place that the Lord your God will choose for you and to make His name to dwell there, it will be a special place in which God makes His name to be manifest, right? And you shall go to the priest who in the office of that time and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And he will take your first fruits and he will, he will put it before the Lord. He is not putting the first fruits there because you owe God or you pay, pay that. He's putting that because you are entering into a covenant with the Lord. He's taking himself in, taking the fruit, first fruits so that God get, is making a covenant with you and you make a covenant with Him. You're not just getting blessed by Him. You're not just His client. You are coming into a marriage relationship with God. Isn't that amazing? You're coming into a relationship with God in which God ties Himself to you. He will tie Himself into the repeat of those blessings to you. But He does not want us to be just clients. He wants us to be people who grow in our maturity, in our relationship with Him. Because that will cause our relationship with others to be that way as well. Amen? Okay, let's have a look at it a bit more. And you shall respond, verse 5, before the Lord your God. And you will say this, A wandering Aramean was my father, um, Aramean as a Syrian, was my father, was dwelling with terror in, uh, the, in um, Syria. And he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number. And there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us, the God of our fathers. And the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, oil and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place. Flowing basis of their first fruits was. They were saying, I remember what God did. Just like Psalm 116. I remember what God did. God has brought me into this rhythm, this covenant of blessing. I'm being brought into that history that Israel had with God, by which God does things. He delivers me with a, a mighty right hand and an outstretched arm. Isn't that amazing? I tell you, that's just, 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 I want more than just a blessing here. I want to, 
to be in relationship to the blesser. blesser. And the blesser is committed to maturing me. The, the blesser is committed to transforming me, enlarging me. At first, I have a very small heart. And I'm constantly a victim and a client of him. But what God is going to do is to make me a person, even though I'm poor and miserable, into a person who is larger, enlarged, become bigger, and being more used to his blessing in my life. The reason why many Christians don't grow and don't get built up and they're just hanging on is because they have not matured in their relationship. They haven't entered into a relationship with the Lord. Think about it. What do you think? <laughs> and what, what's, what God is saying is this, I want to enter into a relationship with you in which I'm committed to you in, as if I'm married to you. That is why you will continue to keep drinking the cup of salvation again and again and again. It will be an unequal relationship in which I will give you much more than what you're giving me. And that's how we begin to mature in our relationship with God. It will not be a, it will not be a relationship in which it will be on the basis of emotions or on the basis of our own self, um, self-will. But it will, be in a base, uh, it will be a basis in which God will bend back and straighten back the brokenness of the image of God in us. He will bend back into straight liberality back to us. He will bend back a certain way in which we know how to tap into and experience the journey. Amen? That is the transformation. If that transformation doesn't take place, we will always be immature in our relationship with God. We will always be a client. And God will be there to do things for us because He's God. Is to, to do is to share His heart's desire, change our hearts, put love inside our hearts. So much so that our love is one thing that overflows, even in our need, it overflows into generosity to the poor. Generosity everywhere, so that the, the Holy Spirit is able to guide us and lead us and to, and, to, and, to, and to lift up something into us. Lift us into the greater things that He has for us. God is not wanting us to be children all the time. He wants us to be people. He can share His heart's desire and His burdens for the world. Amen? And sometimes what, what God does is that He begins to... to, to to, to, to recognize, help us to recognize that we are fallen and we are inconstant in our relationship with Him. On a good day, we promise Him everything. But when a bad day comes, we forget our promises. But what God does is this. He makes us constant. He builds us up. He doesn't go for, take us from one good experience, one mountaintop to another experience to a valley, to a mountaintop to a valley. He builds us up. And when He builds us up, He takes us out of ourselves so that we live for Him, not for ourselves. Any father or mother who has children understands that. Any person who is ministering to younger ones or other, other, other people in the church, you understand that. There is something that happens to you that causes you to love the other person more than you love yourself. It is sometimes what some people call a reckless love. I'm not sure whether it's reckless or the lack of wreck. But I think there's, there's, there's a way in which there's some truth in that. There's a way in which God puts a love inside us bigger than the need. That is why such people can go into the to prison and say, I'm going to be in prison for the sake of your liberty. You know, Mother Teresa spent some time, she's a great fundraiser, by the way. <laughs> she's really good at that. And so she would go to the masses and sometimes she would beg for her children in the, in the, in the, in the orphanage. One day, a man came, was there, and really you could see he was snarling at her. And as she put her hand out to the man, he spat in her hand. 
She spat in her hand. There's no reaction. All she said is this. Thank you. I received this for myself, but not for the children. And the man was shocked. There's something about what the scripture talks about, how our poverty overflows into a spirit of liberality. He makes us bigger. Makes us bigger. So that in meantime, we overcome the meanness in ourselves, the smallness in ourselves. And so what God is doing is that He's, he's causing us to be set free from ourselves. Right? Set free from, from ourselves. There's a, there's a person who's allowed me to share this. I won't, won't mention his name and I won't say too many, too many um, things about his specifics. Um, he shared with me, I had met him uh, at a conference in 2014. 2014. And God transformed him in that conference. But unlike many people who have been blessed by conferences and all that, this person was different. He had he caught one sort of revelation in the conference. And you've heard me saying this. He says, when God speaks to you, it sometimes feels like a little particle that drops into your heart. Do you remember me saying that? <laughs> okay, all right. Oh yeah, of course. To him, it was like, whoa! And so he practiced that. He practiced that. And he says, the problem with the particle is this, it's so small, and I often get distracted. So he asked this question during the question time, and I said, sometimes you cannot go by your mind or your emotions or your feelings, you just have to be doing the vow thing. You just, I, su I suggest, you know what you do? If you get distracted, you just put the alarm clock in front of you and set it for half an hour, 15 minutes, start with 10 minutes. Start with 10 minutes and then go 15 minutes and one hour. And you just put the, let, the, let the clock just go and you just pray, you set your heart towards God and just praise Him for that amount of time. So, so he started with five minutes, then he started with ten, then he went to ten minutes, went to half an hour. And before long, he was doing it for one hour. He had built up his spirit because the, the more... He said, many times I was, uh, I, was, um, I was distracted, but I just kept on coming. He said, I did that from 2014 all the way to 2020. In 2020, I had, an, I had a crisis in my life. I was fired from my job. And I had nowhere to go. And it was COVID. I had no place to go. And then I remembered that because of my practice, that the Lord had not shaken me terribly. He, did not, he had not allowed me to be shaken terribly. And I just kept on praying. And I found that in that, I could still hear from God and I was not shaken. And as I was built up more and more, the Lord sent me to And I got a job there, and I thrived. And I found my true calling. And I found myself becoming a professional that was not just about myself and my own career. I found my calling in my career in New York, where COVID was worse. He spent a few years there, came back. So he sometimes comes to our church because he, he lives out of town. Um, but he came a few weeks ago and he just told me, I just want to know that this key, the more I grew, the more I began to realize how selfish I was. But the more and more I opened myself to the Lord, I opened myself to His love and I kept my vows to Him to continue keep keeping this time. Whether I liked it, I felt good or not, I just kept on doing this. The vows carried me through. I began to realize that at first, when I was obeying the vows and just, just spending time with the clock, I felt the, the relationship with the clock and not with God. Right? I was relating to the clock. After a while, the clock disappeared. The vows carried me through. The, the clock was carrying me through, but I could see through the clock, through the 10 minutes, the 15 minutes, the one. And since then, I've seen that he has grown tremendously spiritually to such a point of inti in intimacy with God. Before, when I knew him, 
he could never talk to me, or rather he, he I, better, I better not say that. <laughs> he would talk as if other people are not around. And then he told me this. He told me, when I began to be centered on the Lord, he helped me to be more aware of people, but not in a distracting and manipulative way. What do you think? He rendered back to God. Not in terms of finances or anything, but in terms of time, in terms of his relationship with him. Amen? All of us are going to experience the future. The future will come to us. It's inevitable. And in the future, the future, as we grow older, we become less powerful. How many, how many of you know that? In some ways, and in other ways, we become more powerful if we, as, we, as we are growing in the Lord. There is something about vows, I'll call it the avowed life, that causes us to relate to God in a way that is more than just a matter of the feeling on the moment. Human beings need more than just our feelings at the moment to carry us through. Don't you think? There, the true sign of the covenant is not that we have success in the things that we do. The sign of the covenant is that God puts in His hand and His grip upon us to, some, to such an extent that we are tied to Him, not because of the legalis legalisms of it, but because of the, heart, the fact that our heart is tied to Him. And if you are a parent, you want to have that for your children. You want your children to experience that and see that in you, so that they don't see that you are just indulgent or that you look to just the, the normal venues of making them have a, a good self-identity, but you actually manifest the humility that comes from relationship with God, the, the, the steadfastness that comes with God. And who's sufficient for this? Nobody. But the Lord helps us. That's why every day we drink the cup. We drink the cup and say, God, I need you. I need you over and over again. But I'm committed to a responsible relationship with you that matures. Amen? The lack of that causes a lot of Christians to not go far. Because the destiny of God has for us is, is contingent upon our growing in maturity. If you don't grow, that thing just keeps on going further and further away. And the older and older that we get, the older and older that our children get, the more unstable the economy gets, the more vulnerable we become. So I grew up with parents that manifested this. I remember one time, and I've shared this a few times before, my, after my sister and I, the two older ones, had finished, had graduated from college, we, my parents' children, who are much younger than us, Suddenly, they just popped out. <laughs> and my, two, my two, two, two younger brothers, um, it became time for them to, to you know, consider college. And my dad was faced with the situation that he did not have money, enough money to send them to college for their higher education. But he had started a church. And in this church that they started, it was growing and God was really calling him and committing him. But I had learned as I was just growing up with my parents what it meant for my parents to be in covenant relationship with God, with God no matter what. And so the Lord had called him to start this church. And at the same time, he got an offer from the University of Singapore to... Um, to lecture there as a professor, a full professor in the in, uh, Department of, uh, Institute of Education. And they were going to pay him not double his price, but any price that he named, he, he named. And suddenly people were saying, this is great. God is answering your prayers. But the true sign of the covenant was that he heard more than just the opportunity. He prayed about it. And our family prayed about it, and it was inevitable 
God has spoken to him, stay. Stay. And I remember as children, we were faced with this situation. There was not enough for the two younger ones. And the Lord was speaking to, through my parents that he will provide. The truth, the true proof of the covenant is not that we are successful or, successful or we got blessed. It's the fact that we stay through difficult times. Does that make sense? Well, what happened is that my, the elder of the younger ones did very, very well in school. He became the top student in the A-levels and uh, got a scholarship, an ASEAN scholarship to go to Singapore and study. And he has, his, his education was paid for all the way till the end of dental school. He, gra he graduated. He was fine. The younger one of them did a, uh, became a chartered accountant and he had a, did an article ship in Turkan Youngs and, and graduated very, very quickly and became the youngest general manager of Unilever in, uh, in Malaysia. They did very well. But my, my comment is, is that actually they're not that smart. It's just that my dad was very faithful to the covenant. No, they're much smarter than me. There's a way in which relationship transforms us, it strengthens us, it makes us firm. But what are some of the ingredients of these things? In the next few weeks, we will talk about these three things. Today, we've talked about vows. Next week, we'll talk about, probably we'll talk about trust and how deep that is. And the third week, we'll talk about fear of the Lord. These are the structures for relationship that cause a relationship to mature rather than being kind of a wash on different things. We'll talk about that um, as, we, as we progress. One day, my parents said, we have to call for a meeting um, of the family again. And every time our family gets, got together, I knew there was a challenge. So my mom and dad said, we have a building fund. And uh, we feel led that we should give up one of our houses that we had bought in a place called Stapak and uh, donate it to the church. By that time, we were all finished high school. We were already in college. And it was so easy for us to say to our parents, yes, let's do it. God is going to bless the church and God is going to bless us. We have no doubt about that. And so I was fortunate enough in my own spiritual life to be brought up by parents who are mature and who allowed the relationship with God to be one in which there's a certain covenantal reciprocity between God and them. It becomes very much more intuitive for us as children to do those kinds of things. And I've seen children who are brought up, brought up in families that did not have a spirit of self-will that has not, has not been broken. And I've seen them. They are not only successful, I know God, God is a covenant-keeping God. He helps us to do well, makes us the head, not the tail. I know all that stuff. I know all the scriptures about that. But there's something about it that I'm, I'm more interested in, and that has to do with the fact that I've seen these, fam these children of families who put God first, who take their relationship with God seriously. You know, there's something about them. They're not just brilliant. They're not just talented. They have a heart. They have a heart. Their heart's like Jesus. They don't have this legalistic kind of thing. They keep vows, but it's not legalistic. It's like the heart of God. They've been almost trained into it. That's why when you read the, old, the ancient mystics like Teresa of Avila, Madame Guyon and all that, you see there's a way in which the heart is trained. The, the, but the dynamic and the power comes from the Holy Spirit. And the, and, and, the, and, the, and the cross has broken the power of 
in curvature of sin upon their lives. And I've seen the children of such parents. They are not, the parents are not constantly looking for platforms for them to be, to be heard. They are, the parents are not always trying to kind of push them up. They're not always trying to feed them with the mantras of, 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 of them being fantastic and better than sliced bread and all that kind of stuff. They are not having to have their egos pushed up by the parents all the time. In fact, the parents don't do that. They actually make, them, make sure they're humbled. And you think that they will become oppressed and be suppressed and repressed and all, that, all depressed. No, actually they become blooming. And there's a certain humility with God and a freedom in God that God puts in them. And that's what God is doing. Beyond the blessing that God has for us, He's calling us to be a people who are in relationship with God, in, in trust with God. Amen? Let us pray. We bless your name, Lord. We welcome you. For some of us, we've never seen God that way. He seems so far away from us that we can't even picture him easily. But God came not just so that he could get us out of trouble, but that he could be intimate with us, cause us to be people who know his love. To know it even in the times of storms, to know it even though the signs around us seem to say that He has abandoned us. God wants to build your house and my house. In Psalm 112 it says, When we fear the Lord, we are not afraid of evil tidings. We are not shaken. We know how to go back to that place where we can inquire of the Lord. And every shaking experience gives us an opportunity to come back to Him. And in the midst of just sitting in our supplication and our wrestling, God does a work, transforming our hearts, transforming our spirit. You have to give it time. You have to be in a relationship with God in which He sets the agenda and He sets the timing. He cannot be manipulated. Cannot be threatened. He is. When you allow God to be God, He does not accede to your demands. He shows you someone who loves you much more than that. I've noticed so many Christians who after many years as being Christian, they doubt God's love. And it's not a condemnation. It's just that they've not entered into that place. And the Lord is inviting us. Let me be the Lord. Tie yourself to me. And that's how they took the sacrifices. The horn, the altar upon, these, upon which these sacrifices were laid had horns on each four of the corners of these altars. And the horns were to tie the ropes that held the animal to the altar. Because well do we know the animals want to run away. And there are times in which when things are difficult, we do want to run away. And God has love and compassion for us, even that. And He invites us to make a covenant with him tonight, today. And God will speak to you 
and speak to me. What shall I render unto the Lord? Benefits towards me. Lord, what is your word to me today? I come before you cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Cleansed from every sin, every stain. Knowing that not by my, my own doing, but by your blood, your grace and your love. I've been set free. That I can come before you and ask you, Lord, what now do you have for me? Come, O Lord, overflow us with your love right now. The love that makes us want to be married to you. The love that makes us not just want visitations from you, but want to dwell with you. In the name of Jesus, come Holy Spirit. We welcome you. I know that God is speaking to different ones of us differently. I want to invite you to make a covenant with him and say, God, I want to obey you. But I know that deep within me, there is so much fear, so much distrust. I've been shaken so many times. I, like the psalmist, say, all men are liars. I, like the psalmist, have known what it is to be let down and abandoned. Can you help me? I make a vow of weakness. And I feel like running away and turning back into my own self. I, by your help, by your guidance, by your nudging, will obey the soft prompting of the Holy Spirit to return to you, to return to my rest. I want to live for you, Lord. I want to be enlarged. Come, Holy Spirit. I need you. If God's been speaking to you, go ahead and just lift up your hands. Open your hands to the Lord and say, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Come and change me. I believe that the Holy Spirit is sweeping through us. And for some of us, God is saying, I'm beginning life anew for you. It's almost as if you are going to be born again into your new life. For some, God is saying, you will no longer be a baby. You are going to mature. And I will make up for the lost time. Fears, anxieties, and dangers will not be an issue for you anymore. For I will found your feet on the rock. And you thought it was going to take a long time, but I will do a quick work. For some of us, God is speaking into our need, our great concern, our great anxiety for people in our life, loved ones, our own future. So many things hanging in the balance. And may I suggest that God is saying, return to your rest, return to me. I'm not just saying God says this familiar thing, I got this, I got this. Yeah, sure he's got this. But he's wanting to speak deep in our hearts. I'm holding this for you. Not a facile thing. And as we come into this place of quiet and silence, let the Lord do that. It's worth it. We have four minutes.
A lot can happen in four minutes. I want to invite you to just come in to yourself. Come in to the Holy Spirit who's within you. Take your eyes off distractions. The concern that we have that pulls us. Lord, we welcome you. I drink the cup of salvation. I drink it. Even now, I receive your salvation, your deliverance. I believe that even now, as people are drinking that cup, like praying and just saying, yes, Lord, I receive this. You are being delivered. If you feel that, I want to encourage you to come and tell me about it. Thank you, Lord, that you're not finished with us. Bless your name. Thank you, Lord, for being with us that you don't do things for us and then disappear. We practice your presence right now. So we're going to close in prayer right now. And we're going to say amen soon. I want to invite, invite you to just imagine the Lord just surrounding you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Amen.